0: In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, man. It's great to see everybody here this morning. I just wanted to follow up a little bit with what uh, Pastor Jared said earlier, man. I just strongly encourage you to um, sign up over the next, uh, I guess, four weeks, five weeks here in June um, to sign out at Friends of North, or to serve out as Friends of North Richmond. Um, I just think it's, it's a, a great, and I'm going to say sort of easy, convenient way for us to serve. It is, is right here. Um, And uh, you'll be doing kind of warehouse work You might be interacting with some people Putting uh, food and things like that in people's cars But really it's just a way for us to get out and serve I think one of the things that makes us a great church If I can say it that way Is that we get our hands dirty We don't just throw money at stuff And uh, one of the bummers about the last 12 months for me as your pastor Has been that we've thrown a lot of money at things Which has been fine It's one way we've been able to minister during this time But I'm ready to get my hands dirty again And I think we need to get our hands dirty again and uh, so I'm just encouraging you strongly, if you can sign up to serve um, out at Friends of North Richmond, maybe you just want to go out there one day and see what they do, see how they handle it before you sign up. Man, that'd be great. I would strongly encourage you to do that. Um, but let's get out there and let's serve and uh, bring your food um, and, and uh, non-perishables and things like that um, uh, to help with their, the food pantry too, because they give away thousands and thousands and thousands of items of, of uh, groceries every week for hundreds of people. Um, so they need that assistance also. So uh, please do that. Um, you know what, uh, Greg, would you do me a favor? We turn the lights up, the house lights? That would be great. Um, I, I, I don't, if, you, if I've been here 12 years, whatever it is, and, you know, I've been here for any amount of time, you don't ever do this, I'm going to rant. I'm going to go on a rant. So here's my opening rant. Ready? Uh, what we saw on the video from Minneapolis that led to the death of George Floyd should be intolerable. The cries for justice must go on and on and on until justice is actually served. The corrupt who are in charge who misuse their positions of authority must be rooted out and held accountable by the law or the laws must change to make that happen. We cannot tolerate any part of our system that immorally impoverishes people, encourages people to not strive to the highest levels of life and productivity that they can reach, or artificially rewards or punishes people due to race, religion, or gender. What happened in Los Angeles, Memphis, Columbus, Phoenix, Minneapolis, and here in Houston after this tragedy is intolerable. The demonization of policemen is short-sighted, demoralizing, and a poorly thought out strategy for change. The destruction of property, the rioting, the burning, the dehumanizing actions of those who have taken advantage of this tragedy is shameful and counterproductive. We must not tolerate mob rule or democratic majority rule. Some of you need to read your civic books. We are a nation of laws that for the most part, for better or for worse, mostly are informed by a Judeo-Christian worldview. We, were either, we will either be a nation of laws and law-abiders, or we will be a nation of immorality, bullies, injustice, and mob rule. What happens in the hearts of men is the issue and should be just as intolerable as the other two to us as Christians. What happens in the heart of someone who potentially crushes the life from another person, what happens in the heart of the rioter, what happens in the heart of the justice warrior, the white shamer, the black militant, the everyday person of any color, this is the seat of the real tragedy. Why are we supposed to, or why are we surprised when people kill, die, burn, yell, subvert, cheat, abuse, beat, destroy those around them? Why are we surprised by that? We will eventually see this world burn up exactly because people are slaves to sin and Satan and our own evil desires. Unless the Lord has mercy, unless the sanctuary fellowship takes the gospel, the real gospel, Unless the church goes with the gospel to change the hearts of men and in real change themselves, there is no hope for anyone. Pray for justice, yes, but because we can never legislate legislate, or incarcerate the evil out of men's hearts, let's pray for God's mercy and saving grace through Jesus Christ to save as many people as possible, lest we be consumed with the evil of our own hearts. Stand against evil, change the system, Go with the gospel into every area and level of society. End of rant. This is going to be a much more oh, think this is going to be a much more personal morning for me as we kind of wrap up uh, Hebrews chapters one through ten and get into chapter eleven. Um, I I can't really get over how crazy the last almost twelve weeks has been. Um who I miss and what I miss and I've been forced to kind of look at why I miss those things has been a hard process I think if you're paying any attention to yourself right now any kind of self-awareness um, what this time has revealed in me and about me how the Lord has folded this time in with what with what he's been doing with Mindy, and her health challenges, sorry. Jesus, uh, Hebrews has been so challenging to us, and encouraging to us, and it should be. There are two overarching encouragements I'd like to give you this morning from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let the love of the brethren continue, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned up outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So this is the end. We're going to go back and fill in all the gaps over the next couple of months uh, between chapter 10 and chapter 13. I just want to summarize what we've gone through in the first several chapters, 10 chapters of the book, and how it, I think, pertains to me and where I'm at in life and um, how it's encouraging me. Jesus is better. That's the first thing. And if we, I don't know how to say that any clearer than we've said it um, for the last several months. Jesus is better. He's better than religion and ritual. He's better than any substance you can medicate yourself with. He's better than anything you entertain your heart and your mind with. He's better than any other love or any other relationship. He's better than any other experience. He's better than any idol that you are loving and worshiping today. He is better than any other hope to change people's hearts. He is better than any other attempt to secure our relationship with God. He is better to remove our sin and our guilt. He is better to give us holiness so we can stand before God. Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than anything. This is, this is a very simple, there's a very simple application for you guys, okay? And I really want to challenge you to do this today. Can we just, we just got to stop at this point, I think. Jesus is better than, and fill in the blank. Now, here's what I want to tell you to do. Because if you'd asked us to, to, to do this 12 weeks ago, I think our answers would have been different. Okay? Fill in the blank. Jesus is better than, and what I want you to put in that blank is what you think you can't live without. Is that too hard? Is that too personal? I want you to fill in the blank what you think you can't live without. Jesus is better than, put something in the blank, okay? Hasn't this been exposed in us over the last two months, three months almost? How many other things that we count as better than Jesus? While there's nothing at all wrong, and there's probably something really godly and honoring about protecting life and protecting our supply and our provisions, what we have done probably exposes that our heart is not convinced that Jesus is better. Now, we Christians tend to be children of our culture. As much as we would like to think we're not, we are. We are children of the culture that we live in, which means we reflect many of the values of the culture around us, like We value physical and emotional safety above everything else. For most of us in this room, that is our highest value, physical and emotional safety. We are terrified of any other outcome because in our hearts, physical and emotional safety is better. And it's better than Jesus. And it's what our hearts want more than anything else. Now, here's where this becomes a problem. What do we do if we're, gonna, if we're gonna just confess in the safety of this room that that's true of us? That we are valuing those things disproportionately compared to the Christian value system. If that's true, what do we do with verses that talk about losing your life for Christ? And then we quit allegorizing that verse and we take it literally. What do we do as Christians in the 21st century America when we are called to lose our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ? When we are valuing physical and emotional safety above everything else? If we value safety and prosperity and health and comfort above everything else, how can we really, really live for Jesus? Where are our missionaries going to come from? I don't know if I've said this story in a long time, but do you guys realize not that long ago, Christian missionaries would go to the Christian field and pack their belongings in a coffin to take with them? Do you understand that? What if they valued their personal and emotional safety and comfort above everything else? Would the gospel have even come to the shores of America? Where are our missionaries going to come from if we value personal safety and comfort above all else. What about foster parents? What about adoptive families? What about local warriors for justice and truth? What about policemen who will finally do what's right no matter what? What about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? Some of you, my gosh, you've got healthcare workers next door to you. You haven't done anything over the last 12 weeks because you're afraid this virus is going to jump out from behind a tree and kill you because we value personal safety and comfort above everything else. See, do you understand where the clash begins to happen? I'm not saying be stupid and walk across 59 during rush hour. I'm just saying that at some point or another, we have to value God's values for living the Christian life because Jesus is better or we're not going to do that. And we will lose the experience of what it means to live the fullness of the Christian walk because we count other things better than Jesus. We see, we think that any and all suffering is intolerable because it clashes with our real values. From our devotional, if you guys have our little devotionals that we give away here, we have some on the table on the way out. This last week it said you have to clearly identify your values before you set your goals. That was in one of our devotionals this week. Because what I want to tell you about your goals is lost goals have a way of exposing our values. Our values. When we don't get what we want, when we don't get what we've set our hearts on, it has a way of surfacing our real values and desires, doesn't it? We want a pool, we want 2.5 kids, we want a happy family, we want job security, we want comfortable, do nothing retirement. We want as little in and at church as possible. We want to refuse to live in community and do this on our own. We want to be entertained. And when those things are taken away from us, our worlds and our lives and our hearts collapse in on themselves because we have a value system that directly contradicts what scripture says is our highest value because we do not esteem Jesus as better. Jesus is better than. Second thing, Hold on to Jesus with everything and anything you've got. Whatever strength you have, hold on to Christ. Encourage each other to do this. Pursue good works. Stay close to Jesus. Develop a personal holiness and an intense spiritual life that can stand when everything else fails, when everything else falls apart, that you would have cultivated such a rich inner life spiritual walk with Christ, with each other, that it will stand no matter what. This is what we have read. This is what we have been studying in the first 10 chapters. Boiled down to these two points. Jesus is better, and you fill in the blank for whatever that's supposed to be. Hold on to him as close as you can. Get as close you can, and with one another, let's encourage each other to stay that close to Jesus. Now, the problem is we get challenged, right? The world brings us, circumstances bring us things that just hit us in the solar plexus, you know? So, what do we do when we suffer, when we lose things, when we are afraid, when we're burning with anger, when we melt with sadness? How do we hold on? And what does that look like? Is it supposed to be perfection? I mean, are we never, are we not supposed to cry tears? Are we not supposed to just cower at some point or another? Are we, are we not supposed to go, this is the hardest thing I've ever done? Do we have to come in here and pretend like it's okay? What does it look like when everything just falls down around our ears and you're just scrambling for a root or a rock as you slip off the cliff? What does that look like? How do you do that? I guess I want to give you two big ideas, two things First of all, I think perspective helps. It's not everything, but perspective helps. You will most likely get another job. You will most likely not die, but get really sick if you get this thing. You will most likely get another girlfriend or boyfriend. You will most likely laugh again. You will most likely live through this, and whatever you're going through, it'll pass more than likely, right? Perspective does help, and sometimes we have to step back. We get lost. We get tunnel vision. We're navel gazing. We just start looking at all the horrible things, and we're like, this is it. It's never going to get any better. I'm a worm. I'm going to die, and we just get stuck in that place. Sometimes we just need perspective, okay? Second thing I would tell you is that though perspective helps, it's not everything, because you will face something. You will face something, That isn't going to change. Not on this side. What do you do then? I personally believe that theology matters most. That what you believe dictates what you do. There is sloppy, lazy theology. Some of that bad theology is this, that the idea of God's sovereignty is bad until you want it right you don't really want God to be in control of your choices you don't really want God to be in control of the things that come into your life until you want it that's that's bad theology you understand that it's not even just lazy theology it's bad theology by definition God isn't sovereign unless he's sovereign God's not sovereign over bad things, bad things are just bad luck, or they're just Satan working in my life. God's sovereign or he's not, right? No asterisk beside the sovereignty of God. Sloppy theology, bad theology, the main effect of the resurrection is to give me stuff. Some of us carry that around. Man, as much as I would love to say that people, you guys all sitting in this room this morning, you're not you know, wealth, health, prosperity, name it, claim it, word of faith people, it has leaked into our, our theology. And you do carry that stuff around. We do. We believe that because we're good Christians, something good is supposed to happen to me. We believe that because we've prayed and fasted and give and we tithe and we attend church and we play in the band and we serve, Something's supposed to happen good to me. So it's either some kind of mystical Eastern you know, mysticism karma junk that's going on, or it's like this word of faith stuff, that somehow or another we're supposed to be able to influence God to do something for us because he owes us, right? That the main effect of the resurrection is to give me stuff here and now. There's another horrible piece of this theology if you go far enough up that tree that says that God has given up part of his his sovereignty to people. There's a magic formula to get God to give me what I want. Now here's where you will go down the toilet with that thinking because every no that you get from God is a lack of faith on your part. You ready for that? Are you ready to live with that? Every no you get Every time God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want is some lack of faith on your part. Are you prepared to live the rest of your lives like that and go through major losses in your life believing that? There's an insufficient theology. There's a Calvinism, a sovereigntyism, a a determinism that can lead to fatalism. Well, that's just the way that God wants it. That's just the way that God's going to do it. There's no really need to pray about it or ask God to change anything. Sadness or anger really isn't allowed because it's unfaithful to God's plan. This person ends up with a resigned, bitter religious fatalism, and that is not God-honoring. You cannot read the Psalms, and you cannot approach the Garden of Gethsemane with that idea in your mind. Jesus is our anchor, Hebrews 6.4 says, an anchor for our souls behind the veil where our faith stands sure. He is our anchor. He's the anchor of hope for us when everything falls apart because he's better, remember? He's better then. If you anchor your soul to anything else, it's weak. It can't handle the stresses, the strains, the pull, the storms of life. Christ is the anchor that holds. I'm going to give you four anchors that you have to hold on to when everything falls apart because Jesus is better. First of all, God is good. And you need to, you need to write that on your, your mirror. You need to put it on a card and put it in your car. You need to put it on your teenager's doors. <laughs> God is good. God is good. God is good, guys. He's good. In the middle of your storm, in the middle of your personal lives falling apart, the goodness of God never wanes, waxes, or fades, or fails Ever. God is good. And because He is good, He is just and He is kind and He is merciful. I would say, my personal theology would say, personal opinion is, the core of God's character is goodness. He's good. Everything flows from the goodness of God. He's good. Secondly, God is sovereign. Can you just settle that in your minds? God's sovereign. He's sovereign. He is sovereign. Third thing, God is making sure Romans 8:28 actually happens. It's not an empty promise. He is making sure that all things work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a promise in scripture for the New Testament believer, and God is doing that, and you must be absolutely convinced. That he is doing that and he cannot fail in it. Not that he won't fail, he can't fail. The difference. Fourth, God loves me and he will provide what's best for me. That's another one hard to hold on to. That God loves me because there are many times in my life, in my circumstances, when I'm like, this does not feel like love right now. This doesn't look like love. This is not what I would choose with love. This is not what I would wish on somebody with love. I don't understand how these circumstances show me, reflect to me the love of God. My lack of understanding doesn't determine the lovingness of any action on God's part. And I've got to wrap my brain around that, that, that also. God loves me and he will provide what's best for me. These are your, again, if you have that analogy in your head, you're slipping off the cliff and there's roots popping out. These are your four roots you've got to grab onto. These are the things you have to hold tight to. God is good. God is sovereign. God is accomplishing Romans 8.28. God loves me. And he's providing what's best for me. So many times, the circumstances of my suffering are compounded by my response to that suffering. Right? So... Work with, I don't have a lot of time this morning, I've worked with students for, for years and years. And I can remember not even that long ago, talking with students and they would come in and they would say, you know, some bad things, maybe sometimes not all that bad. Life is hard as a teenager, right? You're 15. The world revolves around whatever's happening that day. And they would come in and say, oh my gosh, this happened, this happened, this happened. And I'm cutting myself. And I'm like, bro, you don't have to, like, you know, you're compounding your misery. Right? You you know you're adding to your suffering by how you're responding to your suffering. Do, Do we understand that? I can't look at these cuts on my arm and say daddy and mommy didn't or daddy and mommy did. I have to look in the mirror and go, I did this. Your responses to your suffering can compound the circumstances of your suffering. How we respond to suffering and pain and fear matters immensely are we going to let go of those four truths are we going to turn away will we trust and hope and seek relief somewhere else am i going to jump onto somebody else's belief system as i'm walking sliding off the cliff how do we respond first of all hope what is our hope is our hope, really, that everything's going to work out here? I mean, are we really, are we teaching this? Did we, did we as a church, the church, somehow fail you in teaching you that Romans 8.28 was about now? Have we somehow, in the history of Christianity, <laughs> taken those words and somehow just completely misunderstood and misapplied them to today? Only Or is our hope that Romans 8.28 is about God's eternal work and it includes every bit of suffering that you can encounter in this life? All of it. All of it. He didn't say he's taking all good things and working them out for your good, did he? He's taking all things and working them for your good. Hope, secondly, follow Christ's example we spent some time on this I don't have time to do it now learn from Christ's example when you suffer you know that scripture says in Hebrews 5 that Jesus learned obedience he learned obedience the son of God learned obedience what are you doing with your suffering learn obedience Hebrews 5 7 and 9 learn perseverance Romans 5 through 4 learn perseverance. My grandpa, I'll never get those words out of my head, nothing worth having is, is easy. Nothing worth having is easy. We've lost that kind of value system that I think is exceptionally biblical. Persevere, 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 learn perseverance. Third thing, hope, follow Christ's example, all suffering is redeemed by the cross of Christ for the Christian. All of your suffering is redeemed by the cross of Christ. All of it. You can get some weird theology with that. It doesn't make it any less true. All suffering is redeemed for the Christian through the cross of Christ. It changes the intent when I look. That means when I'm looking at suffering in my life, and I look at pain in my life and circumstances I don't like in my life, it changes my understanding of the intent of those things from destruction to transformation. These things aren't intended by God to destroy me. They're intended to transform me. From the end to a beginning, and from them bringing me death to them ushering me into life. Fourth thing, seek to gain character. Seek to gain character. This isn't a motivational speak. This is scripture, by the way. Scripture talks about this in 1 Peter. Seek to gain character. You can never lose it. Not really. You can never lose character. Not really. And it is more precious than gold, according to 1 Peter. What God is working in your character, he deems more precious than gold. Gain character. Fifth thing, we should have a forward-looking faith. The price has been paid to redeem all of me, even my death and my pain, but it has not all been applied to me yet, and it will not be applied to me on this planet. We're not perfectionists. We do not believe that we receive everything that Christ has died to give us here. At best, this is a way station and training depot for what we're going to go into someday where we realize the full effects of everything that Jesus did for us on the cross we must have a forward-looking faith this is the great hope and message that Christians have held on to for millennia millennia somehow we have swapped it for air conditioning in big homes in five cars and pools and vacations you know what I'm saying we've made that the ultimate goal hope in the right place following Christ's example all your suffering is redeemed gain character and perseverance have a forward looking hope now this is all well and good when it's theory right a lot of amens when you're just going yeah when I suffer I hope that's what happens to me (laughs) hope I can handle it that well right the problem is, is that suffering comes to us. That as much as we would like to insulate ourselves from it, we can't. So, what does this look like in real life? You know what it looks like? It looks like anxiety. When you wake up at 3 30 in the morning and you're sweating. And you don't know why. Fear. Real fear. Death is a real possibility. And the death process sucks pretty bad. And the loss of the life that you wish you had. Confusion. Why her? Why now? What could possibly good come out of this? I have no idea how to do this. Distrust. God's not going to answer this one with yes. If he's not going to say yes to this, what else is he going to say no to? Things that are, in my mind, obviously bad. Prayer gets hard. Joylessness. There's just no real joy here. Everything can be lost. Nothing else can be shoved in there. Let's try more sadness. Everything just becomes kind of bland. Life in the grays, as much as I would like to believe that life would be easier and simpler if everything was black and white. When you go through this kind of pain, it just introduces a lot of gray areas into your life. There's more and more in-betweens. A few things get clearer, but others are cloudier. Simple things like your finances, or planning, or enjoying what is today, or not living for what is today, and where and how to best invest your life—this gets it gets a lot muddier. Self-absorption. Pain has a tendency to drive us inward. Life and perspective can just implode and cave in on itself. There is more than a normal, a normal conscious effort that you have to put in to do anything for anybody else, especially with pure, true motives. Isolation. In your heart, in your core, you really begin to believe Nobody understands where I'm at right now. God has left me alone, and he's not responding. He obviously doesn't care. There are two narratives I want to push you to. Narratives, right? There are stories, biblical stories. Two narratives I want to push you to as we think about how to take Hebrews and hold on. Hold on. Jesus is better. Don't let go. I want to be careful about not allegorizing these stories. That's a big word for Sunday morning, right? I don't want them to make me feel good. I want them to say to me what Scripture, I think, wants to say. Exodus 14:14. 14, 14, I'm wearing on my wrists. The Jews are pursued by Pharaoh after they've been released from prison from slavery. God's idea as they run away from Pharaoh is to take them to a place that dead ends at the Red Sea. So they're running from the world's greatest superpower, a nation of slaves with children and old people and carts and donkeys. And God's idea is, hey, I got an idea, guys. Why don't you just run up to the Red Sea where there's nowhere else to go. That's God's idea. He tells them to do that. At that point, it doesn't really matter if the Red Sea was two feet deep or 200 feet deep because ain't nobody getting out of that. So what do we do? We have an army behind us and the Red Sea in front of us. Do we run? Do we scream? Do we cut ourselves? Do we eat more? Do we sleep and hide? Do we take pills to keep our emotions under control? Well, God says, hey, listen to his people, you got to do three things. And we're like, yeah, God, give me something to do because this plan is awful, right? So what, what's, what do I do? This is what God says to him. It's terrible advice. Be quiet watch me fight for you and walk. If you've ever been between an army and a Red Sea, I do not want to hear any of those things. Do you understand how amazing practically that is, but also how hard it is and how real it is for today, how impossible it feels in the moment? It's exactly what I've watched Mindy try to do. To trust the Lord that he's going to fight for her and strengthen her and that she can be quiet. She can trust him because he has hurt her and now she can rest in that. Watch me fight. That God really is moving thousands of unseen things around her for her best. And we should be amazed at how he does it. Then he says, walk. Just walk. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't sit. Walk. Because God is fighting for you. Hold on to Jesus. He really is better. The other one's Luke 22. We don't have time for that. Just before the trial of Jesus and the disciples all leave him, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like flour. This is what he says to him. He says, But I prayed for you that you wouldn't fail. I prayed for you that you wouldn't fail. Jesus' prayers are answered and Jesus is for you and he's praying for you that you wouldn't fail. Suffering isn't going anywhere. Not on this planet. But neither is God, neither is Jesus. They are fighting for you They cannot lose you. They cannot fail to do what they have set out to do, which is to totally transform us, to conform us to the character of Jesus, to save our soul, to completely renew us. They cannot fail at that. So rest and trust and walk and know that the Lord is fighting for you. Jesus is for you. Your body and your mind and all of your faculties are gonna fail one day. God cannot fail and he is committed to your good pray hard walk hard trust that he is these doing these things and he will do these things jesus is better he really is better because he's the only one who can transform the mess of your life into something that's beautiful and meaningful and full of peace and joy and rest jesus is the only one who can do it hold on to jesus and let's encourage each other to do the same thing he is turning everything around for your good and he's the only one who can hold on to Jesus. God, I thank you so much for the message of Hebrews. In our troubling times, not just in this culture, but personally, in our troubling times, our worst days, Jesus is better. You have proven yourself that way. You are completing your work in us. God, I pray that our church family would hold on tight Jesus who is changing everything doing everything, transforming everything for our good thank you God for the hope that is in Christ, I pray that we hold on to you because you're good and you're sovereign you've got everything good for us in your hand you're working everything out for us for our good God our hope is in you change everything in our lives God into something beautiful we worship you in your name we pray. Man. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing one song on the way out, and it's fantastic. The words are great. Let's hold on to Jesus. God bless you guys.